Alhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Safina Saidi Nothing But Facts live stream. A gorgeous and sunny Tuesday in the great state of New Jersey. As the summer really is winding down, which is always a sad thing. But the fall is always nice and the beginning of the school year is always nice. Um, as usual, Tuesdays we go into tafsir. That's what we are covering on. We always cover tafsir, and we're on surat uh, as-saf, okay? All right, we're on surat as-saf, and we'll get to that right away, and then we'll open up for QA and see whatever other issues that we got going on here, because there's always something. A'udhu billahi minash shaytan rajim wa idhqala musa li qawmihi. Ya qawmi lima tu'dunani wa qad ta'lamuna anni rasulullahi ilaykum. First of all, what is the ruling on saying Sadaqallahu al-Azim when someone recites Qur'an? It's a bid'ah. That is, you could say, mubaha or hasana. Because Allah says in the Qur'an, Qul Sadaqallah. But he doesn't say specifically when to say it, right? And it's come upon as a urf of the ummah, right? That to say Sadaqallahu al-Azim after the recitation. So the saying that it is an innovation is correct, but what is the ruling on such an innovation, particularly one that the entire ummah has adapt, adopted? Why? Because we want to separate between when we're reciting and when, and, and when we're talking. So you may see a video going out these days uh, that's saying that this is a, 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 a reprehensible innovation, Okay. So that's basically the summary of that is uh, from Surah Ali Imran, Qul Sadaqallah, has nothing to do with finishing the recitation of the Quran, but it is something that it's a Faisal or a falsehood really between recitation and regular speech. Another way to divide between your speech and the Quran is silence just to stay silent. This is what the Prophet used to do, However, what if you need to speak right away? So in that respect, it is good to have a falsehood. And uh, what, what is a bid'ah is to say that it's obligatory. At that point, it becomes a reprehensible innovation to say that you're obligated to do something or to claim that there is a special reward for that phrase at that time when there isn't. So th- that's where it becomes a reprehensible innovation to believe that, to believe that it's obligatory or to believe that it's uh, even sp- specifically rewarded. That's not acceptable for us. When Prophet Musa salam said to his people, people, why do you harm me the way you're harming me? Why are you attacking me? And you have full knowledge that I'm, your, I'm Allah's messenger to you. This is cognitive dissonance. And cognitive dissonance is a mental habit. It's like a habit that between your mind and your behavior. And people transmit cognitive behaviors. All behaviors are transmitted. Okay? It's transmitted. You live with a group of people who behave in a certain way and act a certain way. And that's who, you ha- that's who you're with your whole life. Well, guess what? You're going to be just like that unless you become consciously aware of it. 
and you go against it. Okay. Okay. وَذَلِكَ حِينَ رَمَوْهُ بِالْأَدْرَ وَالرَّسُولُ يُعَظَّمْ وَيُحْتَرَمُ عَدَلُ عَنِ الْحَقِّ أَمَالَهُمْ عَنِ الْحَقِّ And so when they, what is the result of when they um, accuse Prophet Musa السلام, of being not manly? They accused him of having that his private part was not right. Why did they do that? Because he never used to bathe. He used to bathe with them. He's never used to take his his izar off. Whereas it was halal for the Bani Israel and the Christians, the Jews and Christians, for the men to be naked and bathe together. Why? Because it was like a ruhsa, I guess, and it stayed that way. Uh, because they they were living, as you know, nomadically. Traveling around the desert. So when they found a lake or a river, they would bathe in it all together. Okay. And so that would became permitted for them, but it was not permitted for a prophet. And Sayyidina Musa refused to do that. He would bathe by himself. And no one would see his aura. So they started to accuse him of things. Then Allah caused the situation to happen where Prophet Musa was bathing alone. And yet a rock came and he had hung his his thobe on a tree branch, a rock came and attached on behind the thobe and pulled the thobe off the tree branch. And the rock continued to, big stone, I guess, um, travel down uh, the stream. So Sayyidina Musa went after it, but when he got there, the water became shallow. And so he had to momentarily come up and claim his thobe from off the rock and at that time there were all the Bani Israel the men were sitting there and they were able to see his full body and not only did he not have the sickness that they had but as Allah honors his anbiya and makes them worthy of being followed they found his body to be perfect and we know how much these prophets fasted so it's it's not far-fetched the concept that there's no fat on his body. We know he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, the special fast of prophets. No food, no water. 40 days, 40 nights. This is not fasting the daytime and eating the nighttime. No, di- no food at all. So no fat on that body. And that's all you need really to, to have like an amazing figure. And then any amount of manual labor that you do moves those muscles and strengthens them and makes them bigger. So, and we know that they were all doing manual labor. Just, just move, uh, walk with a camel, walk with a horse, right? Do some shepherding. You're going to exert a lot of energy. You're going to use your muscles. So once you shred the body of all that fat, then all of a sudden you have a sculpture and that's how Allah created the human being. Right. And that's why some friends of mine who were, um, I went to visit them one time and I saw, I hadn't seen them for a long time. And like two out of five of them were just completely transformed. I said, what had gone into you guys? And they said, oh, we got a coach. And I said, were you guys running? You guys bodybuilding? He said, no, none of that. He said, it's all at the table. It's all about the food. And they go into this macro philosophy. And these guys bought scales and they walk around with scales 
measuring the food that they eat, right? And they followed this coach for a year. They followed him to the T. And I wasn't always into these these burdensome, unnatural um, methods of doing things because it's not something you can sustain. And then they, one of them didn't sustain it. He's like, I'm not walking around with a scale all the time. It's sort of absurd. And then do, uh, putting in an app, I ate an apple. I hate uh, a Turkish delight, right? I mean, it's not practical, right? So, so he, one guy left it. The other guy sort of stuck with it. But they were they didn't do anything physical. Like there was no running, no lifting, no push ups, no nothing. Just cutting excess calories. And if they the philosophy is that if you're if you can calculate how much how much calories you spend in a day, and you just intake just a hundred calories less than that. Two hundred and fifty calories less than that. That's it. Right? And then they we're, get, we're just shredding fat over the course of the next year. And so they became like that. So a lot of times it's just overeating, right? And, and But the point being, back to this tafsir, is that they saw how amazing the body of their prophet was. And this is ikraman lil-nabi. This is as an honor to the, that prophet. That, and it's also that people tend to want to follow successful people, Right? And this is why many, many prophets, they have everything of the dunya, oftentimes, temporarily. Like, people want to follow uh, people who are successful physically, financially, in marriage. That's who you want to follow. So no prophet was physically outside of the scope of what would be considered physically acceptable. So there was no, for example... I don't want to make anyone feel bad, but there was no, for example, obese prophet. There was no short prophet. There was no um, too tall of a prophet that it's like odd, right? There was no excessively scrawny prophet. So none of that. The prophets always came within the average, but within that average, they were excellent. Like within what is considered good, the average of what human beings considered that this is the leader I want to follow. And so, but what was the punishment of Bani Israel when they went against their prophet in this manner? Allah says in the Quran, the result of a sin is that you will do another sin. That's, that's your, your punishment. So when their heart went astray and they did this to their prophet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala led their hearts astray. When you're that sick, that you're going to say, you're going to accuse your prophet after he, let's say he's not even a prophet. Let's say he's someone who saved your life from a car crash. And then he does have a sickness. You don't say it. He does have a, a flaw, let's say. That's embarrassing. You don't say it. You just stay silent, right? That's a normal person. Okay. And here you have a messenger who saved your entire people from slavery, brought you out into freedom, and yet you're going to start making up claims about him? So the Prophet Musa, as a result of this, ends up... uh, uh, Sorry, the Bani Israel, as a result of that, ends up going more astray. Okay? فَلَمَّا زَاغُوا أَزَاغَ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ 
Oh, okay. You're going to go like this to your prophet? All right. Your punishment, more waywardness. It's certain things you just don't make it up. Minor sins, you just make it up with a good deed. Major sins, you make it up with Toba. But this dishonor and disrespect of your messenger, you're out. Okay. When they went astray like this, Okay. Now that they went this route, their heart doesn't see the truth anymore. Their heart always wants to go against the truth in any way, shape, and form. When you have an individual habit in a people and it spreads because the whole people did something or they, the leadership did something, it trickles down, it becomes like a hallmark and you transmit that generation after generation unless there's a whole generation-wide toba, which did happen. The followers of Prophet Dawood were purified. Those were the best of the Bani Israel. Prophet Musa is the great messenger, but his followers were no good. As the generation, his his specific followers who believed in him and followed him, like Prophet Yush or, or, or Yusha bin Nun, he's not a prophet, but he was a great follower. They were excellent, but the generation that he lived in, they were no good. Uh... It's the, the Bani Israel are not like the Sahaba of the Prophet in that every one of them is Adil. Every one of them is a Mu'min. No, the Bani Israel, they had followers that were completely terrible. They're prophets. If they had pro- followers who killed their prophets, who rejected their prophets, okay? So it, they, they don't, they're not to be compared that we would never say something about the Sahaba of the Prophet but we may say those things about the generation to whom a Hebrew prophet was sent. So the specific followers and the pious followers of Prophet Musa are one thing and they were few, but the generation was a whole nother thing. Now Prophet Dawood, let's turn the page now. Prophet Dawood, in Prophet Dawood's time, it was the opposite. They were excellent. Like the whole generation was superb. And then when that generation died out, another generation came, they were less than that. It came in the time of Prophet Suleiman, they were good, and then towards the end of his reign, he reigned a long time, they were terrible again. Okay. They were so fattened by the success and the wealth. Allah calls them fasiqeen. See, they are the are they not the generation of Prophet Musa? Are they not the people who kept his company and prayed behind him all day? But Allah calls them fasiqeen. Okay. Whereas you have nothing like that towards the Sahaba. It's one of the necessities almost of Islam is that the original generation of Sahaba were all udul with the exception of 12 hypocrites whose names were given to one of the Sahaba. Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. Right? If the Sahaba of the Prophet ﷺ could not be trusted, then how do we know where we get our deen from, right? If the first cut of the chain is messed up, then the whole thing is going to be messed up. So the first chain, first link, I should say, of the chain in Islam is all acceptable. When you see a Sahaba in a link of a chain, you never doubt him. Okay? After that, you do investigations.
قال الزجاج يعني لا يهدي من سبق في علمه أنه فاسق آه والله لا يهدي القوم الفاسقين It has a couple of meanings Allah does not guide the people who are profligate Meaning when you do acts of profligacy Profligate acts You are essentially denying divine guidance And the divine guidance will not reach you As the judge says Allah does not guide those whom he knows We're fasiqeen But this is not something that we can act upon Because divine knowledge has no, nothing We have nothing to do with divine knowledge We never know what it is So why even go there But the way that we can act upon it is provided that a person, if that person is doing acts of profligates, profligacy and, and sins and filth, then the divine guidance will be closed to that person. So therefore, if you want divine guidance, first thing, fix your behavior. If you want divine guidance, fix your behavior. You want the sun to shine on a mirror, move the clouds away from the mirror. Move the objects away from them. If there's a light coming on a mirror, move your hand from in front of the mirror. Move the objects from in front of the mirror. And those are the sins. And that's why it's so important to live a moral and upright, basic life without sins. We are going to close off guidance from ourselves if we live that life. And that's one, just one reason why youth, they should stay away from campuses. Campus to me was one of the most difficult It's like, it's got to be the one of the most difficult, college camp has got to be one of the most difficult places to just keep any sense of discipline and focus. Because you're just surrounded by all sorts of uh, young people craziness. With Qala Isa ibn Maryam, now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turns to Prophet Isa ibn Maryam. So if you notice here, this surah begins with the companions of the Prophet, now the companions of Musa, now we go to Prophet Isa ibn Maryam. With Qala Isa ibn Maryam, Ya Bani Israel, inni Rasulullahi ilaykum. O Bani Israel, I am a messenger of Allah uh, uh, sent to you. Musaddiqan lima bayna yadayya. I confirm the Torah, minat Torah, and I give you good news. Mubashirun bi Rasulin yati min ba'dis Muhammad. And I'm giving you good news about a Prophet coming by the name of Ahmed. Why don't we go and get Sheikh Ali Atai and have him talk about Muhammad in the Bible? Why don't we get that? And why don't we maybe get, let's say, a Christian, one of these recently converted Christians, right? And maybe put them on together and have a discussion about that, right? That's a good idea. Because I'm always interested in the recently converted people who are, you know, posting their stuff on YouTube. Right, I think we're what oh for two invitations. Yeah, yeah, we're oh for two. Oh, we passed that. We're now on. وله وجهان أحدهما أنه مبالغة من الفاعل أي الأنبياء كلهم حمادون لله عز وجل وهو أكثر حمدا لله. So the name Ahmed, the Alif there, means that he is the most qualitatively grateful to his Lord. Ahmed is from Hamd. Hamd, the word Hamd is to be grateful and praiseworthy, praising. 
right? Let's say grateful and praiseful, if praiseful is a word, but let's just say it's a, it's a word. So Ahmed pertains to the qualitative gratitude and praise of the Prophet ﷺ to Allah, and Allah has basically announced to the world that no one will praise him and be grateful to him more than the Prophet, in a better way than the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. What is the difference between Ahmed and Muhammad now? Now, Muhammad is the most quantitatively praising of his Lord. So nobody will praise Allah and glorify him more in amount, in quantity, than Muhammad So that's why in the dunya, his name is Muhammad, and the akhirah, his name is Ahmed. Okay? He, his name is both in both worlds, but he is first called Muhammad in this life. In the akhirah, he's known most as Ahmed first and Muhammad second. He is also praised. Yeah, yeah. Muhammad is the one who is praised in this life. Yes. That that by itself is a prophecy. Yeah. Just objectively speaking, uh, who ha- who who is spoken well of in the world more than the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him? Not even Jesus. Not even Jesus. You go to for Christmas, no mention of Jesus. Santa Claus. Santa Claus is mentioned more than Jesus on Christmas. And they have to have a movement, bring Christ back into Christmas. We don't have something like bring Muhammad back into the, you know, Islam or something like that. But then Christmas has his name too. Like Christ. Yeah. So like, that's yeah. worse. Christmas has his name in it and they don't talk about him. <laughs> and they're talking about shopping and winter holidays. It's that, you know, atheists want Christmas now, but they want to call it winter holiday. Wow. Or what is it? Winter solstice or something, right? It's crazy. They want to give it a pagan uh, view, essentially. And uh, ultimately, the, the lights that are put up in the winter had nothing to do with Christmas. It had nothing to do with paganism. Lights going up in the winter was a Scandinavian habit to stave off depression. And they used to get these long nights. And of course, you go north enough the whole winter's night, right? So what would demarcate what would actually brighten their spirits up and also give them a way to walk too. Like they needed to physically walk around. And there was no harm in those, in the Scandinavian areas of putting hundreds of thousands of candles because if a candle would fall outdoors, where's it going to fall into? Into the snow, right? So if you go into Scandinavian life way back, the light aspect and the candle aspect didn't have to do with any pagan ritual. It had to do with the winter the long nights, the need for light, number one, but also the need for something to lift your spirits up because it's just all darkness all the time. And candles do have this ability and little tiny lights for some reason or whatever, it has the ability to lift people's spirits up. People like to walk into an area with a lot of little lights in it. And what is our take on this in Islam? It depends on your intent. If you're intending to imitate with, uh, by the use of a candle or a light, then that's an innovation or that's sinful. But if you're just intending to use lights for functional reasons or for aesthetic reasons, then it's acceptable. And you go all over the Islamic world and they did use lights in different ways. For example, in Egypt, is very famous to put up little tiny, um, called fanus, little tiny fawanis, 
right? Which are lamps, hang up lamps. So it wasn't a candle because that's not safe. See, everyone is different. It, it, out in the Scandinavia, you could put an open flame, no problem. If it falls, it's going to fall on, on snow. It's going to be out. You can't do that in Egypt, so they had to close it up. And they put it in lanterns, like little lanterns everywhere in the month of Ramadan to beautify the streets and to, to signify that, all right? So you, got, so you have all these different traditions of human beings putting up lights in different ways. So the Christian, Christians, I don't think they, and they supposedly worship Jesus. No one's more disrespected. They disrespect him all the time. They're making, they're, they're making, they have a play about, there's a, there was a play out about the story of Jesus, but, Billah, to even say it, but Jesus and the disciples, they're homosexuals. What the heck? And it plays like ongoing every year they play it. Wait, nobody stopped this? Nobody like tore the theater down? Nobody did anything? What is wrong with you people? Right? And then you go on. So you went from, from worshiping him to he's not even involved in Christmas anymore. Right? Whereas the Muslims have kept him. He's the prophet. He's not God. He's the prophet. Right? And yet the prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam is more praised if we just had the adhan and nothing else. Imagine this. Remove all the poems, the burda, everything else, the mawalid, all that, remove it all. Knights of Salah on the Prophet, remove all that. Just the adhan, they would outdo any other Prophet. And salah too. And salah. Just adhan, iqama, salah. It would be completely outdoing any other person. Like, who, who's even in the conversation besides Muhammad and Jesus? No. Nobody. Even Isa is not like... Jesus, like, they mention his name, but they don't say, like, alayhi salam, right? Yeah. So that's not really praise. That's not like, praise. Mentioning his name, but is that really you have no concept of saying, peace be upon him. It's not, it's, it's not really and praise. he's your God. Right? SubhanAllah. How about this? They don't even name Jesus outside of uh, Latin America. Wait, if you love him so much, right? Wait, but it's confusing. Wait, he's a, he's a God, so you don't name someone God, right? But then again, why in Latin America they do name Jesus all the time? But... You would think that throughout these countries, some nickname of Jesus would be mentioned, right? As a name that people name their kids, but no. Muhammad already is overtaken as one of the most common names. You go into England and you go into their birth of 2022. What were the names of the kids born in 2022? And you, and you're almost going to look it up now. Most common name, like in 2022 or whatever. And you go in England, and it was like Muhammad, right? Every other year, it's Muhammad, right? So actually, the most common name in the whole world would be Muhammad Lee, I heard recently. Because Lee in China is one of the most common last names, and Muhammad being the most common first name, okay? Muhammad, I think it's, it should be first, but like... The data is not there because it's spelled in so many different ways. Um, but there were these um, British newspapers that put it out there. All right, like this is false. Like, come on, yeah. it's saying Oliver. How many? I, I don't think I've, I, I even know an Oliver. Oliver, please. Come on. Why like would you even? Is what is? Why would you? Wrong. Yeah, this that data is totally messed up. I know zero Oliver. Why would anyone even name that name? It's not. Ask there's... any white person too. How many Olivers you know? How many Muhammad? Exactly. Yeah. They'll say Muhammad. Like. Ask any rat. The only Oliver you know is Oliver Twist. <laughs> Oliver. Ajib. Okay. Now let's continue. 
سو محمد حماد لله عز وجل كل الأنبياء حمادون وهو الأكثر حمدا لله All the prophets are praised they praise their Lord and he is the most Okay All of the Anbiya, he says, are Muhammadun. All of them are praiseworthy. Okay? And he is the most in recipient of this praise. Okay? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks, saying, فَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ قَالُوا هَذَا سِحْرٌ مُبِينٌ وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ أَفْتَرَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَاذِبَ وَهُوَ يُدْعَى إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ وَاللَّهُ لَا يَدْرَى قَوْمَ الظَّالِمِينَ and continues. He doesn't give much tafsir for seven through eight. Then he goes to ten. Ya ayyuhaladina amnu hal adulukum ala tijaratin tunjikum in adabin anim. But let's read at least seven through eight. Who is more oppressive than the one who makes up lies about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa huyu da'ilil Islam while he's being called to submit to him? Wallahu lahdil qamadhalimin. And this is for false prophets. False um claimants liars about god's religion and that includes the innovators in within islam okay the innovators within islam saying allah teaches us something that he didn't teach how do we know what allah taught well we have a book and that book is in a language simple as that okay we go by the book someone recently asked me hey uh having a pot my my relative apostated what do i do i said go by the book Go by the book is what I advise you to do. We ha- we don't have ties with apostates. That's hard and very difficult, yes, but that doesn't mean that the advice is unsound, right? What do you do if you get gangrene in your foot? You cut it off, right? And don't say, oh, do it before talking about it. First of all, that's not necessarily the case. You don't always have to do something in order to talk about it. Some things you do. But if it's a ruling in Islam, you transmit it, right? Is is going through red lights wrong? Yes. Doesn't mean that you don't never go through a red light, okay? Now, I'll tell you when you do have to do it before you talk about it. When it's a specific path or a journey, right? Like how to become a doctor, the journey of medical school. I don't want someone except someone who's done it to give me advice on it, right? So that's one thing. But if it's a ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's a law. And the law on apostates is that once someone apostates out of Islam, I'm sorry to say we don't have anything to do with them anymore. Okay? If People in our culture will understand that if you say my... uh, my cousin, he's now an avowed conspiracy theorist who says that the Holocaust never happened. And if it should happen, it should happen now. You know who actually said that? Roseanne Barr. She's Majnoon, right? But what happened? She, Ro- Roseanne Barr, of course, she's trying to just get attention or something. She said, no one died in the Holocaust, but I wouldn't mind if they died now. Of course, she's Jewish, right? So she could, she gets a pass, I guess, for saying that. But... When someone says that in our culture today, what do we do with them? Do we not, does not everybody cut them off? 
You will never be on Netflix. You will never be on NBC. You will never be on ABC. You will never get a contract. Okay. You get cut off completely. Well, likewise, in a world with different values, okay, such as submission to Allah, when someone turns against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, openly and brazenly tells you not a Muslim anymore, the ruling is, all right, you go do your thing. I'm not going to go after you. You do your thing over there. I'm going to live my life over here. Okay? And I'm the, to tell you, just for our information, we did do, end up doing it in our family. And hopefully we never have to do it again. All right? But we did do it. So don't, no one should come to me and say, oh, don't tell us something until this you do it. Okay, we did do it. And it was the best decision too. Okay. You cauterize. You cut and cauterize. Right? So that that influence doesn't affect the rest of the body. Okay. So that is iftara ala Allah. Saying lies about Allah and they're going to be from small lies to great lies. Depending on the nature of what, what is being said. Then Allah speaks about them. Yuriduna liyutfi'unur Allah. They wish to put out the light of Allah, the guidance that Allah established. Bi'afwahihim, with their mouths. Wallahu mutimmu nurihi walau karihal kafirun. And in warsh, wallahu mutimmu nurahu walau karihal kafirun. And Allah Ta'ala will complete the spread of his light, whether they like it or not. Okay? Are we allowed to do dawah to apostate family members? What do you mean by dawah? Yes, you're allowed to invite them to Islam, but this is not going to be like, come over for some steaks. And we're friends and we're buddies. Okay? That's not going to be allowed. He's the one who sent his messenger with the guidance and the true religion. To manifest it over all other religions. This one, maybe we should have brought that to Javad. Right? Alright? So, um, we have brought this messenger with the religion of truth to make it manifest over all other faiths. To make it clear that this faith is the truth and these other ways are untrue. Alright? I'm telling you, Anytime that someone, quote-unquote, has issues with a ruling in Islam, shift it into the value, uh, 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 into the values of their era right now, okay? Right now, you got a relative who says, I believe in, uh, a white relative saying, I believe in saying the N-word, and we should spread it and talk about it. Like, well, we should be tolerant. Well, what happens to that person? In every field of life, the whole ecosystem will completely shut him out, completely. He will be sealed off. The family, the job, the media, everybody. He will be sealed off if that's the platform that he wants to go on. And then you say, wait, why, why don't you be tolerant? Why don't you accept freedom of speech? Why don't you accept this, that, and the other? So take it to the sacred cows of that culture. And say when, when someone goes against that, what do you guys do? And here we have a deen with its own sanctity, okay? Own things that are sacred. <clears throat> Both of them are accepted. 
من عذاب أليم تنجيكم تنجيكم This was revealed لو نعلم أي الأعمال أحب إلى الله عز وجل عملناه وجعل ذلك بمنزلة التجارة لأنهم يرجون فيها رضا الله ونيل جنته والنجاة من النار Why is that? Because they, the Sahaba said, if we knew what is the best deed that we could do, we would have done it. Right? We would do it. So this is why um, Allah Ta'ala revealed this to them. Because they they want to do the action to please Allah and to save themselves. So Allah says, "I'll should I not tell you about an action, if you do it, you'll be saved. You believe in Allah and His Messenger and strive. And this is one thing. If you're going to live in the West, you need to be striving. If you're going to live in these countries where the, the cultural wave against us is so strong, then you need to be in a complete state of striving. Every day you have to participate in the advancement of your deen. Every single day. Some way, shape, and form. Okay. You need to be able to say today I added one thing, one benefit to the ummah. Like I helped this one kid or I gave this charity. Bi'amwalikum wa anfusikum, with your wealth and with your bodies, with yourselves. So some people don't have wealth, but what they do have is time. And they go volunteer in the masajid or some organization. Of course in that time they're talking about the army and you die. For the sake of Allah. This is better for you. Okay. When a regular person says this is good, all right, then you have a concept of that. But when the creator of the whole universe says something is good, then how good is it? If a kid comes up to you, a five year old kid comes up to you and says, my dad on Eid, my grandpa gave me a lot of money. How much do you think it is? $20 bill, right? Maximum $100 bill. Grandpa comes on Eid, slips a $100 bill. Maximum, right? But when the creator of the, if, if, if a, let's say, general of an army says our budget for the war is a lot, how much do you think that budget is? $100 million? Right, so who's speaking? That's the question. Who's saying that this is good? Any, because sometimes people say like the the ad the the adjective that Allah uses is muted, right? You'll be saved from the hellfire and enter paradise, and this is very good. This is good, and they think that if this is a muted adjective, but who is speaking? That's the question. A child tells you I have a lot of money or Warren Buffett is telling you this is a lot of money. How much? This is not, it's the same word, right? But who's speaking is the question. The same word, a lot of money. But who's the speaker is the question. Hence what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is better for you. That's the creator of the universe saying that. Okay. All of your wrongs will be forgiven so that all the there's always a kickback when i do a wrong action it's going to boomerang back to me that's forgiven so there's no boomerang coming back to me okay 
ويدخلكم جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار and you will enter into gardens under which rivers are flowing ومساكن طيبة and beautiful homes في جنات عدن in a garden of عدن or Eden عدن with a sukun ذلك ذلك الفوز العظيم وأخرى تحبونها and another thing that you may like okay وأخرى تحبونها an additional benefit what is that additional benefit okay you would like it وهو العاجل the thing that you want now okay نصر من الله وفتح قريب and this is where the immediate rewards from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are more motivating to people. The, perm- the permanent and far away reward is better for people. What's better, eternal paradise or victory right now? Of course, eternal paradise. But what's a greater motivator for people? Victory right now. You tell somebody, strive today. For a reward I'm going to give you in 10 years. Or strive today for a reward I give you tomorrow. Human nature likes what, is, what I'm going to get quickly, what I'm going to get soon. Strive today and I'll pay you for a full month. But next year, right? You get 30 paydays next year. Or... Strive now, you get paid tomorrow. Most people, especially if you're in need of food now, you're going to say, no, I'll strive and I'll get paid tomorrow because I don't have food on the table today, right? People tend to have a need for satisfaction now, right here in this world. And then they they don't want the postponed reward. Well, the benefit for us is that if you do something for, for tomorrow, you get the reward tomorrow and in the future. Nasrum min Allah, victory from Allah, wafatun qareeb, and an opening. Fat has a beautiful word because there's always something that you want. It's closed. The door is closed. I want this, but the door is closed. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says it's going to be open for you. So human beings have this desire for in immediate and instant gratification. And that is some one of the ways that we motivate ourselves to act in this in the deen. And it's not something that we consider is a bad thing, right? Instant gratification is is bad in laziness and sins. But instant when it's instant gratification, like I want the reward from Allah of Allah now of this this dunya first. And the beauty of that is that the more you do that, eventually you become satisfied. And now you're acting out of gratitude, out of shukr which is one of the highest levels of ibadah, is to worship Allah out of an act of gratitude. You have given me so much. In specific, of course, in general, victory for, for everybody, for anybody, in whatever it is they're seeking help in. And Nasr is help, essentially. Divine aid. Nasr is divine aid, but when Allah helps you, you will be victorious. It's a guarantee. So Nasr has been translated as victory because of that's the, the guaranteed result. Although the actual meaning is divine aid. All right. Ala Quraysh. 
نصر على قريش وفتح مكة وقال عطاء يريد فتح فارس والروم وبشر المؤمنين Others said no it's the, it's the victories over Persia Nasr is the uh, victory over um, Faris and Rum But Nasr is victory after a fight Fatah is victory without a fight So إذا جاء نصر الله والفتح The Nasr is over Ta'if And the Fatah is for Mecca Because Ta'if came with a war With a battle And the conquest of Mecca came without any battle the, fa- the conquest of Mecca came uh, peacefully. وبشر المؤمنين أي يا محمد بشر المؤمنين بالنصر Give the believers victory, uh, uh, good news. They will have Nasr. And what is that? Uh, this is beautiful. Fid dunya. You will have victory in the dunya. And this that's not what we all want. نصر في الدنيا والجنة في الآخرة and paradise in the آخرة ثم خصهم على نصر الدين وجهاد المخالفين then uh, حضهم sorry حضهم then he then encouraged them and said yeah, uh, to, to strive and to fight the enemies يا أيها الذين آمنوا كونوا أنصار الله oh you who believe be victors of Allah give victory to Allah سبحانه وتعالى قرأ أهل الحجاز وأبو عمر كونوا أنصارا لله same meaning the Ansar those who seek victory okay. those who seek victory and those who seek to give victory to Allah how do you give victory to Allah is by giving victory to his religion fighting for his religion that's how you give victory to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala يا فلما جاءهم كما قال عيسى بن مريم الحواريين give victory to Allah as Prophet Isa called his disciples قال عيسى بن مريم الحواريين من أنصاري إلى الله who are my supporters in the path of Allah أنصروا دين الله مثل نصرة الحواريين لما قال لهم عيسى عليه السلام من أنصاري إلى الله أي من ينصرني مع الله قال الحواريون نحن أنصار الله The, the disciples of Isa bin Maryam are praised in this ayah They said we are the, the supporters of Allah فآمن الطائفة من بني إسرائيل وكفر الطائفة okay. So those disciples believed and the rest became Enemies of faith and kafirs. فَآمَنَ الطَّائِفَ مِنْ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ وَكَفَرَ الطَّائِفَةِ وَذَلِكَ أَنَّهُ لَمَّا رُفِعَ تَفَرَّقَ قَوْمُهُ ثَلَاثَةَ فِرَقَ After Sayyidina Isa was elevated, and how was he elevated? He was told and commanded to go and rest in a certain area. He went and he rested and he slept there, and he was, ele- and he was elevated. Okay. So... Our Mufassir here, Al-Baghawi, is saying, after the death of Isa, they divide into three camps. Firqatun qalu Allahu fartufi'a. He was Allah, and he is now raised. He was a manifestation of God on the earth. And of course, we hold that to be impossible, uh, rationally incomprehensible with Tawheed. Unacceptable. Wa firqa qalu kana ibnullah farafa'ahu Allahu ilayh. 
he was the son of Allah, so Allah raised him to himself. A group said, no, he's God's slave and prophet and Allah and messenger, and Allah raised him up. Each one had a group of followers. They all fought, and the first two groups had victory over the third group. For and then until Allah sent Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who uphold that he was, that Jesus was, uh, Jesus was a prophet and messenger, and, now, and then they had victory over the Christians and the Jews, and hence now that saying, and that's the meaning of, فَأَيَّدْنَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا We gave victory to those who believed in the truth, that Jesus is a prophet, not a god, عَلَىٰ عَدُوِّهِمْ Upon their opponents, فَأَصْبَحُوا ظَاهِرِينَ and now the truth that Jesus is a prophet had become stronger. And of course, we may not understand that because it seems like the Christian world is stronger than the Muslim world. The Christian world was never stronger than the Muslim world. Only when Christians became atheists did they dominate over Muslims. Okay, just to keep that right. And only when the Muslims stopped practicing their law and abiding by their law and obeying their God and their prophet did they start losing battles. And losing out to these other civilizations. But Christians, as practicing Christians, have never as a nation been dominant over the Muslims. So yes, they had a Latin empire for a measly 100 years. They won a couple of crusades. One crusade. And then they lost 12 straight. Okay? And in Spain, yes, they took Spain. But what is Spain in comparison to the rest of the whole Muslim ummah? That's one little country. Right? One country. And how long did it take for them to get it? But they got it. So they had. Just like today, the Jews, what do they have of the Ummah of Islam? One small piece of land. Okay? Which not to minimize what's happening there. But we're talking geographically. Okay? Geographically. One piece of land. In comparison to what? Geographically. So this ayah stands to be, is, is correct. فَأَيَّدْنَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا we supported those who believed in the truth about Jesus, that he's a prophet and messenger, upon their opponents, those who say he's God or the son of God. And they're now dominant over them. So it has always been that the practicing Muslims have always dominated over Christians. And the modern time is not a dominance over Christianity, over Islam. It's a dominance over atheism, over sinful, disobedient Muslim nations. Because when the British came, they didn't bring Christianity. When the French came, they didn't bring Christianity. They came with secular law. They came with the sec- secular values. They came with the whole secular system of nation states. They did not come with the cross. Their uniforms didn't have crosses on them. Nor was that what their empire stood for. Okay. All right, that ends Surat Asaf, which takes us next week to Surat Okay. Al Mumtahina and or Al Mumtahana, either one. You want to say you can say it either way. And that's gonna be a long that's gonna take us a while. We're now getting into the longer surahs here. Okay, surah al Mumtahina.
Okay, we'll put this tafsir on the side. What do we have here? Quick section here on fr- reading from this book here. All right, The Divine for Critical Minds, Inquiry into God's Existence. Our methodology, we are very heavy on kalam and very heavy on dhikr. And then the fiqh, as much as you can. But the real heaviness is kalam because kalam is essentially the, um, the defense of the creed and the rational basis of the creed in a world where everyone is trying to convince you of their religion and, and clouding up the truth. So I'm reading here from the Divine for Critical Minds, and I, I need to, we need to, can, can we get uh, him on the, on the podcast, please? Rehan Zaidi. He's a, he's a doctor, so between um, patients, he can come and uh, talk to us. He says, those trained in philosophy often say that physicists should not be delving into philosophy if they're not aptly acquainted with it. They may be correct. Edward Fezzer, described as one of the best contemporary writers on philosophy by the National Post in his article, Why Are Some Physicists So Bad at Philosophy? He humorously exposes physicists at the cutting edge of logical blunders. Because remember, the physicists, the biologists, they emphasize the observable knowledge, observation as a source of knowledge. They don't give much uh, worth to reason or transmitted knowledge. Philosophers, they put reason here, observable knowledge and transmission down here. Literalists within religion, they put the transmitted knowledge here, and then they put observable facts and reason down here. And the right way to be is to put them all in order, all right, where they belong. They're all sources of knowledge. The greatest one, of course, being the Quran and the Sunnah. And then it's reason, and then it's observable facts. Okay. He says here, his reaction to physics professor Ethan Siegel, for example, could not be better. Siegel writes, arguments for God as cause of the universe rest on the assumption that something can't come from nothing. But given the laws of physics, it turns out that something can come from nothing. Bizarre. To this, Fieser writes, is this guy serious? The laws of physics aren't nothing. That's just blindingly obvious. Siegel assures us that we can get something from nothing. All we need to do is add a little something, i.e. the laws of physics. Unreal. Such a basic error. Okay. As a philosopher, Siegel is utterly incompetent, incapable of seeing that the most blatant of fallacies staring him square in the face. So what did he he screw up here? What's the foul? When the, when the flag is thrown, see the Europeans... And the Australians, they don't understand what we're saying when we say a flag is thrown. Right? They don't know what that is. They got yellow cards and green and red cards and stuff. In, in American football, which is the most popular sport, maybe some people aren't really happy with that, but American football is the most popular sport in the United States. When you do something wrong on the field, it's so loud, right? The whistle isn't enough. They also want to, they need to allow the play to continue, okay? They need to, the play has to finish. 
But in order to signal that a foul has occurred, each referee has a tennis ball that is wrapped up in a yellow cloth and tied. And he throws that in the air. That gives a signal that a foul was, was, was committed. Because they need to let the play finish, right? Because let's say it's a foul, it's a foul, uh, it's holding. Let's say it's holding, right? By, by, uh, by the offense. But yet he makes the catch, right? You add to that. So he needs to let the play finish. This is the fifth of fouls here. So they throw a flag. So when we say there's a flag on the play, it's an expression. So you have to, you're learning some Americana here, okay? You guys, not only you're, le- you're learning some tafsir and mantip, you, you learn a little bit of, uh, of American culture and American idioms here. So it's flag on the play. What is the fa- foul that was committed here? The law of identity. The law of identity. Once the man said nothing, okay, nothing, he didn't continue his sentiment or his theory with nothingness. He continued it with the laws of physics, right? So it's nothing. So the law of identity is the idea and, and the concept that when you say a word, it has that meaning and it has to continue with that. And then he just contradicted himself. He then, he writes, he continues, Siegel is in good company, if that's the right way to put it. Stephen Hawking and Leonard, Leonard uh, Maladano are no more physico- philosophically competent than Siegel is. Indeed, one of their er- their errors is the same as Siegel's. They tell us that. These are the guys who wrote, I think, um, uh, I can't remember what the book is called, but it's Hawking's big book. He says, because there is a law like gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. It's unreal that a Cambridge... It's his book, The Theory of Everything, or The Grand Design. Sorry, it's The Grand Design. It is unreal that a Cambridge professor, that anyone who is an adult, not only wrote the sentence, how many people read it and let it pass? Like, didn't the publishers read it? Didn't editors read it? Don't they have like 10 editors per book? Okay. Because there is a law like gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Ignore for the moment the incoherence of the notion of self-causation. Put to one side the question of whether the physics of their account is correct. Forget about where the laws of physics themselves are supposed to have come from. Just savor the manifest contradiction. The universe comes from nothing because a law of gravity is responsible for the universe. For some reason, this particular fallacy seems to be a favorite of physicists. But Fieser doesn't stop at physicists. The Hawkings, the Dawkinses, and the Jerry Coins of the world have been dancing the Myers shuffle around their echo chamber for so long that they can only overhear each other's mutual congratulations shouted down the, the conga line. Until this childness, childness is universal until this childishness is universally treated with the sort of contempt it deserves, we will not have a sane intellectual culture, one in which the deepest philosophical, theological, indeed scientific questions can be fruitfully debated. Professor Paul Davis, author of the bestseller, uh, The Mind of God and Cosmic Jackpot, was my personal reason to be suspicious of physicists' comments on philosophy. Davies 
critiqued a number of philosophical questions in these books. Though I enjoyed his writing very much, I wanted to discuss some of his concerns further. I decided to write Davis. That happened to be the start of the book you are now reading. Below, I have used many of Davies' comments in Cosmic Jackpot as a basis to answer queries that people commonly have. All right, examples of common philosophy questions and errors. Okay, can law create a universe? All right, can law create a universe? Well, where did the law come from? I mean, it's, it's, it's really basic stuff. We'll cover one of these a little bit every once in a while. Like, could the universe exist without a cause? All right. SubhanAllah. These people. If the universe came in um, haphazardly like this without no absolute cause, then any, everything within the universe is also relative and contingent. Therefore, your explanation is also simply relative and contingent and accidental. All right, with that, let's move to today's extended session, comments and questions from everybody. Uh, how is it on Instagram? You can read me those because I don't, I don't have Instagram anymore. There's nothing recent. At least on my iPad. And in the meantime, let me try one of these. Um, Turkish Delight covered with rose petals it looks like rose petals cranberries and it's filled with pistachios and it has coconut in it Sounds good. yeah interesting you want one uh, so yeah he's saying Shakula is saying how like they're calling the law of something so indeed that there must be a lawgiver but like their issue is they ascribe necessity to the law itself hmm? so like they ascribe the nece necessary being as the law itself yeah so, like, really, it's, like, you already conceded to what we're saying. Yeah. Right? All you have to do is, like, go, like, the Occam's razor route and just, like, shave off the accidentals. Yeah. So, like, you, you say, all right, we have a necessary existence. You have one. What is yours? What is ours? Yours is full of accidental problems, like what we call a'rad. Yeah. Like ours is, like, free from It's simple. Right? Like, Occam's razor. So, uh, they, they do have, essentially, yeah. um, a god. They do. It's the law. But it's, like, material, basically. Yeah. So, it's, like... And what is a law even? What is a law? I guess they would say like it's like the order that th things occur in, right? But you can only have a law if you have two ma you have material objects to inform you about the law. Yeah. Right? So how are they assuming that the law pre-existed the mater uh, material things? Because it's a physical law, basically. Yeah. So you need the physical... Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, someone's asking, Sunnah amount of salawat to read minimum daily. Hmm? The sunnah amount of salawat to read minimum mm. daily. All right. This white one, gooey white one with hazelnut was not as good as the rose one with the pistachios. Why are people getting me this stuff and putting it on my desk to make me become fat? You take that out of the can't, I can't help not eating them. Sunnah amount of salawat to read minimum. Well, you have in different madhabs different sunnah and mu'akkadah. That's the first question. Which madhab? Is in the Mad in the Madiki school? Witr and Raghibatul Fajr are the strongest for the daily salah. Everything after that is nafila. Okay. 
Um, for the Hanafis, there are 12, I believe, right? Four, four before Dhuhr and two after Dhuhr, or Sunnah, right? Are you talking about the prayer? Hanaf- oh, Sunnah, okay, yeah. Sunnah, 12, yeah, Sunnah, yeah, yeah. So you have to look in, the, uh, in your madhab, but minimum, 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 bare bone minimum is witr, which is one rakah. Before sleeping, however, it's incomplete. It is valid, but it's to, the the condition to make it complete is to pray two shafa and one witr, and never miss the two rakas before fetch. All right, here's another question. Um, They're asking like uh, like the ruchi, like salawat on the prophet. I think salawat like on the prophet. Yeah. Oh, I thought he meant sunan. I thought you were talking. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh, okay, because he said. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Because yeah, yeah. when he said to read. I assume that means to pray. Yeah, yeah. 300 salah on the Prophet is considered the least of much. And Allah says, remember Allah much. Ladies and gentlemen, you can be a supporter of the Safina Society podcast by going to patreon.com slash Safina Society. Also by liking and subscribing to our channel so that you can get notifications about when we go live. Maybe you never know. There will come a day where we have multiple shows a day. With the different shiuch that we have. A show in the morning, a one a program in the middle of the day and a program in the evening, like a channel. Nonstop. CNN doesn't shut off, right? All right. Now let's talk about this question that came here. How do I send salah and salam on the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam? You do this by saying Allahumma salli wa sallim alayh. That is the least and simplest. But before you use the pronoun, you must at least mentioned in the name of the Prophet in the first salah. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim. Allahumma salli wa sallim alayhi thereafter for the rest of your salawats. As I'm giving you the easiest, least number of syllables. Okay. Would you marry someone outside your, of your nationality? I don't think nationality is as much as culture. Because you can have a Pakistani-American and a Palestinian-American and the American part of their upbringing is more in common than anything else. And then the, the Desi or the Arab or the Turkish or the uh, what have you, that part of things, it is a little bit different, but it's not so hard to... It's not the main culture. So are probably the same in the UK. Somali, Maghribi... Pakistani, Bengali, but ultimately British, European, Western, is the dominant culture. So I'm always more concerned with culture because culture is everything. It's sense of humor. It's, it's what you enjoy eating. It's things like that. It's your memories too. Americans, they went to the schools, same experience in school, same experience in college, things like that. Those things, when they're shared, okay, there's more bonds of bridges to be built. Pro West says, David Berlinski's book, The Devil's Delusion, is also worth a read. If there is no intrinsic reason for something to exist, then it stands to reason that it must not have existed at some point. Thank you very much. That's exactly the concept of Uh, Al-Hadith Okay 
الحوادث in عقيدة in كلام a hadith is a contingent thing that there's nothing intrinsically necessary no intrinsic reason for this thing existing that at some point it didn't exist and a contingent thing cannot be explained by another contingent thing how it came into existence may be explained by a contingent thing but its reason for existence is different from how it came into existence which is the biggest difference between between theologians and biologists and scientists the scientists when they say why did it come into existence they give you a physical reason of how it came into existence but that's not the reason this is like someone coming into the kitchen and saying why is the pot boiling why is there a pot boiling on the stove look around right why is there a pot boiling a pile of pot of water boiling on the stove when no one's in the kitchen someone says oh i know why why because there's a fire underneath it sending heat up no no that's not the reason that's the that's how it's boiling that's not why it's boiling why it's boiling because i'm making macaroni and cheese and i just stepped out to go to the bathroom that's why right so there's a why and there's a how and the scientists seem to every time they answer a new how they say see we don't need a why How can we explain how tawassul wouldn't lead to shirk? Mm, because in tawassul, you're still making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're just saying that I'm offering my love of so-and-so, my followership of so-and-so, okay, as an offering. Just like we give charity as an offering. That's tawassul. When I, give cha- when I want something from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what do you do? I want Allah to answer one of my prayers. What do I do? You do some good deeds. Tawassul is the good deed that I have believed in so-and-so and I love so-and-so. That is a good deed in Islam. Okay. And you are not praying to anybody in those things. That is tawassul. Shaykh, as one starts on the path of self-purification, is it normal that smaller sins sting and worry you a lot more? And yes, that is correct. That um, when a person becomes more in tune to their creator, even the smallest acts of disobedience become bothersome to the person. And that is really an excellent sign of advancement in consciousness of the uh, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that even the least amount of disobedience will uh, will bother a person some of them said it's like uh, the the believer when he has an infraction that he committed against his his creator's law against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he feels that there's a mountain on his head whereas the munafiq when he does that he he feels just like there's a fly on his nose. He just, it's no big deal. Adi Starbucks, come sit. <laughs> How's it going, man? You good? Good. Question. Surah Al-Ma'idah 116. Allah is asking, did you ever ask the people to worship you and your mother as gods besides Allah? Is this talking about the Catholics only? I believe, no, not the Catholics only, but also any Christian who believed that. Why have certain ayats been abrogated? 
to show the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in taking the believers in gradation. Okay? And to show that Allah is not a law because of itself. It's a law because Allah made it so. So something is a law and it's good when Allah says this is the law. When Allah then says this is no longer the law, this is the law, that thing now becomes bad and evil things follow it and evil result, bad results follow it and this new law becomes what's good and good results follow it. Is mercy killing halal? What is the exact definition of a mercy killing? I think they're saying like a human that's suffering. No, no, we can't do that. Take them out of their misery. Uh-uh. Can't do it. You put him in pain medication. Since it is discussed a lot on Reddit, can someone ask a potential spouse about her past sins? No, you cannot do that. No, and you, yes, you may hide it. Anyone says, "Hey, you, com- you ever committed zina before?" It's not your right to ask that question, and it's their right to say no. All right? Oh, they're lying to me. Well, how do you know they're lying? You shouldn't have asked the question in the first place. All right? Okay. Rabbi Amalek says 300. Is that in reference to something? Oh, 300, yes, correct. Okay. Is it permissible to do a mercy killing for an animal? Then the answer is yes. And that happens all the time when they hit a deer or something, and that deer will never heal from that. So you can kill an animal for that reason. But the previous question was saying, what's the reference for 300? Like, why is it 300? The ulama came to a point at some reason for they said that 300 when it comes to dhikrullah is the least of what is considered kathra, a lot. It's the lowest number of what's considered a lot. Uh, we can probably look up where they got that number from. If we praise or do salawat more than dhikrullah, is it wrong? Is it shirk? Dhikr rasul is dhikrullah. Because the first thing in all salawat is Allahumma. Right? Allahumma. So it is a dua. So dhikr rasul is dhikrullah. Man ata'a rasul faqad ata'a Allah. Allah says in the Quran, whoever obeys the Prophet has obeyed Allah. All focus upon the Messenger وسلم, is obedience to Allah and pleasing to Allah and it's worship of Allah. Okay. Is the first step remove a difficulty, ease a situation, and do to do tahajjud every day? Yes. Doing tahajjud will ease all hardships. Sadaqat says, is... Uh, okay, we answered that one. Okay. Abu Ayyub al-Khatib was the Prophet wasallam aware of the names of other prophets other than those mentioned in the Qur'an. The Prophet wasallam became aware of all of this knowledge and of all of the Anbiya as stated if we take the general statement that he made sallallahu alaihi wasallam that allah ta'ala placed he felt a coolness on his back and allah placed all of the knowledge of the heavens and the earth into my chest that is a famous hadith and is the hadith of the debating angels the debate of the highest heavens and which allah asked him and it's, this was a dream he asked him what do they debate about and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that he did not know he asked him three times this question, and then he said, I felt a coolness on my back, 
Then all of the knowledge of the heavens and the earth entered my heart. So therefore, that knowledge entered the Prophet ﷺ. We can assume from it includes the names of the angels and uh, of the prophets. Okay. What about asking for aid of the beloved and the awliya directly, such as istighatha? Seeking someone's help, believing that they are a mere sebab, a cause, and not the source is permitted. Okay? If you believe that that's a cause of aid. And we have that famous hadith of the Prophet ﷺ commanding us, if you are lost in the desert, this, this hadith makes sense. When you're lost in the desert, what is the scariest part of the desert? That you're all alone. Is it the same when you're lost in the desert by yourself or with 10 other guys? With 10 other guys, you're still worried, but you got nine other eyeballs and nine or 18 other eyeballs, 18 other ears and nine other brains, right? Helping you. So you feel less scared, right? Because if I don't see, I might not see an oasis, but my friend may see it, right? Uh, if an animal comes to attack us, I only got two hands, but if I got nine friends, that's 18 more hands. So you feel, you're, you're worried, but it's less worried. Why? Because you feel like you have company. Well, the Prophet ﷺ was telling the, de- the, the, the Arabs out there in the desert, and anybody who feels alone, you're not alone. You are not alone. You have malaika there helping you. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, when you are in that feeling, we could do the qiyas of being alone. But he specifically mentioned the story of being in the desert. Okay. He said, said shout out, Ya ibadallah a'inuni. Oh, slaves of Allah, help me. Okay. Ya ibadallah a'inuni. So he's calling to mind to calm your mind, your human mind down, who needs to feel that you have help. Okay. And the help of angels is the help of Allah. If Allah sends you angels, that is by Allah's will. Angels don't ever disobey Allah. They're only answering to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're only there because Allah sent them. You, When you ask divine help, you're not going to get the divine in, in the form of a person in front of you to help you. You are going to get a creation. So the Prophet then is pointing us to do that. Okay. So is, that's istighatha. Is there like, is shirk only uh, something that's accompanied with a wrong belief? Or is there like just shirk of action? So like, for example, like, uh, obviously we would say like drinking water is obviously not shirk. If you believe it's going to nourish you in and of itself, then that's shirk, right? That's a false belief, yeah. That's so a false like, belief. That sh- so it's like... Is there an action that if you just do this action without belief? Yes. In and of itself? Yeah. Worshipful acts of pagans and God, and idols. So like if someone prostrates, let's say like to... Prostrate to a cross, prostrate to a, a Buddha. But like there was something like... We're not going to say they were crazy. But like they're completely like establishing Allah's one. And first, there was like some reason that you just did it. You negated it. It would still be shirk. I say la ilaha illallah and I'm going to bow down my head and act okay. in, 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 in worship to Buddha. Okay. You just negate it. Yes, this is clear water and you poured poison in it. So okay. it's now all poisons. Yeah. So specifically for idols or like, yeah. we know that Yusuf and his, you know, the brothers prostrating, that was like, was in shirk. That, that for that, well, that was also a dream. Well, then it did happen. Yes. But it was that in their Sharia was a prostration of respect, which was mansukh for us. Okay. It's mansukh. So it's only for idols. Then. I'm going to get the uh, full list. There is a list of clear actions by themselves. No interpretation needed. Just action. Right. Yeah. So now some of the ulama then made qiyas 
and said, it's not just angels that can help you. It is the souls of past prophets and odia that can help you. And there is no, and that Qiyas, it has issues. Being that we know angels inhabit this world and help us. And they're alive and not dead. Whereas we don't know for sure where are the souls of the awliya. Okay? And if they can come back to this earth and help us. But they say that we had experience. We had physical experience of their help. And that, that's how they know. So if, if you knew that, then maybe it's fine for you, but it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't transmit. Because that's what we call tajriba. They experienced it. And they got their help. So that they, they believe now that the souls of the past prophets and anbiya and awliya can, can physically help you in this world, just like malaika, just like other living humans. And that was their basis of it. If you're in university, what is the best way to revise a daily routine to memorize and retain information? First of all, I would read the sections multiple times. So you read the chapter multiple times. Secondly, I would write my own set of notes. Okay? I write like a graph or write the notes down in a way that is makes sense to me. And then... If you could possibly listen to a video about the same topic online, like Khan's Academy or whatever, whatever Khan Academy, that's another avenue. Then if you have a study group, that's another avenue. So you want to do the same thing on different multiple avenues. And uh, anytime that I did well in school, I never actually studied in groups because I felt that to be a bit of a distraction, but I did study with one person. Like too many people is a distraction, but one person. Like I, I did that, but the key was to study is revision, literally just rereading the chapter and rewriting the notes, then taking those notes, putting them on the side, redo the notes, see if you could do it better until you've done it so many times that you, psh. anytime I did that, I just like breezed through the courses. And anytime I got lazy, right. And didn't do that. Then I didn't breeze through the courses. So long-term, like very long-term, like something you want to know for years and years. Then you go back to it after four or five months of forgetting about it. You go back to it and redo the same practice. Yeah, that's how you do it. That's how you can know a book literally inside out is because time passes and that whatever you knew has settled now in your mind, right? And maybe now you only retain 10% of it. Go back to it and redo the same thing as if it's the first time. Discovery and learning are not the same thing. The first time you read something, it's merely a discovery. But the, it's the repetition that really translates into learning. Okay. If I do a nine to five job and I can't go to Jummah, what can I do? If Jummah is near to you, you must go to Jummah. If Jummah is far away, like in another town, then you're not obligated to go to Jummah. Okay. In Surah Waqiyah, Allah says towards the beginning that only a few of the later generations will be close to him. But then says a large number of multitude will be. Surah Al-Waqiyah mentions that those who are very near to Allah Ta'ala are many in the early times and few in the end of days. Okay. 
That's what it means. Very near to Allah, muqarrab. There is in that surah, those who are astray, those who are on, who are good, and those who are very near to Allah. What happens when people say, Wallah, is it an oath? No, if it's just common regular speech, it's not an oath. Even if the question says, what if you're asking someone, hey, did you ever do zina in your life? And you said, wallahi, uh, uh, say wallahi that you didn't do zina in your life. Do you still say wallahi? Don't ask this question. First of all, if she says no, how are you going to prove it? That she's saying the truth or lying. Right? So don't even go there. If I know that a potential spouse committed a crime, but they don't know I know, can I interrogate them on it? You're asking for trouble when you do this. Don't make people lie. Because people do have the right to rep- protect their reputation. Okay. And why, why would you want people to admit committing sins? They get comfortable with it. They get comfortable. Okay, yeah, I did it. All right, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I did this. Oh, by the way, I did 10 other things too. They get comfortable with committing sins. Then they take that as their identity now. So don't push people like this. Anonymous says, why is it wrong to ask about a person's past in a relationship? Because no one has to, so because you're making people speak about sins they committed. Okay. What you can ask is for a health report. Right? You are allowed to ask for that if you suspect this person may have an STD. Right? A health report. Why? Because in a health report, you could catch the STD. So you actually have an interest there, right? Or do you have any children? That I, 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 You have a right to ask that. Do you have debts that would stop us from renting an apartment or buying a house, right? Or saving up money. So where it in, impacts you, you have a right to ask. But where it's just somebody else's mistakes, we don't have a right to ask that anymore. Okay? Don't ask that. What is that question saying there from al there's a lamp blocking the screen. I can't see the Alma Samia Elam. What does that say? On Instagram? Oh, it's on Instagram. Yeah. Oh, uh, Do you have recommendations for finding good teacher for Tajweed? Help people connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We will have those classes on Arcview Arabic coming up very soon. We're looking at next week launching a new website for arcview.org. That's where you want to learn. Okay, Arcview Academy, Arabic, Islamic Sciences. Okay, and I'm focused on all this, and that's why I left social media. Like, there's no way I can go into inboxes anymore and answer all the comments that people put on Twitter and Facebook. I realize, like, either build out Arcview and make it great, something's got to go, and that's why. I, I being off that stuff it's not that I always it was all bad it was a lot of it was good I liked a lot of it but it's a, it was a serious time vacuum a dr- time drain and if you want to build something out that's really great it takes time it takes effort and I had to give the time to to, uh, to Arcview to, to to totally revamp it and it's, and it's going to be worth it you'll see 
How does a person not attach yourself to the means while pursuing it? By one of the best ways that you separate in your mind, although my body has to seek out money, I got to know in my mind that money is just a means, not an end. One of the best ways to do it is to say it. To say it. To say, this is merely a sebab. Say it out, out loud to yourself, right? This is merely a sebab. Right? And to, to talk like that out loud to yourself. It's a great way to actually remind yourself. Yeah. And people who make a lot of money, you can be in control of the money if you slaughter it regularly. And that is by giving it out in good sources, good, good causes. Okay. Even paying bills that are necessary. That's a good cause. Right? If you were to pay someone else's bill, isn't it a good cause? Well, paying my own is the same thing. I'm also a creation of Allah who needs help, right? So you should never make a payment or a charity or, or, or let alone charity with, a, with a, a, a foul heart because that just reflects attachment. And I saw this amazing wisdom the other day. He who cannot give charity in poverty will not give it in wealth. I thought that seems counterintuitive. Because in poverty, if I give out $100 out of 1000 I have 1000 in the bank and I give $100, that's 10%. Whereas if I have $100,000 in the bank, in my bank account, and I give $100, that's 1%, right? No, less than 1%. I don't know. But it's a very small percentage, right? So it seems counterintuitive. But... The perspective is not about the percentage. The perspective is about the value, right? And it's that the more wealth that a person has, the more they tend to love their wealth and they serve it, okay? And they spend time on it. In contrast, when you don't have a lot of wealth, it's there's nothing to be attached to, right? There's nothing to be attached to. Let's say, for example, I got a few of these Turkish delights. It's nothing to be attached to. But if someone came in and brought a whole feast of, of, of food, now, hold on a second, we got to pay attention to that now. You, you have to see how are we going to treat this properly? How are we going to divide it up? So it's not about the percentage of the wealth that you're losing. It's about the level of attachment. And the rich are more attached to their money than the poor to their money, right? And so that's why if you can't give it when your attachment is low, you can't give it when your attachment is high. And that's why the way to control wealth and the wealth, we will have it like a slave, which it should be. You are, they are, the money is a slave to you. You're not a slave to the money. Is to slaughter it. And slaughtering it is by making payments with a smile on your face, giving charity, things like that, sharing, all that stuff. Yeah. Were verses in the Quran sent down in time? They have oh the verses of the Quran, of course, have always existed with Allah, without language, without beginning, without end. That is what we call al kalamun nafsi, Allah's speech with Himself. Then they were revealed in the Arabic tongue, okay, and written in a low in 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 uh, um, uh, written in a low al mahfuz. Then they were. Revealed to the lowest heavens in what's called Bayt al Izza, according to Ibn Abbas. And then they were revealed to the Prophet over 23 years. 
I need to revise and retain at least the first and second year university content by next year to make my final year easy. How do I tackle this? Uh, there's actually, it's a very easy technique. And that is a technique of accumulation of time. If you spend a small amount of time, such as 15 minutes, phase one is building the habit. And that phase, you lower the amount of time that you have to work on. See, you know, this talk right here is why people told me that you should start a life coaching company, right? How you build the phase one is building the habit. Phase two is advancing the habit. So let's say you want a kid to, to study, to watch math, study math every day. So the key here is the word every day is not knowing a lot of math or sitting for a long time. The key is that to get into the daily routine, that's the other key word, routine here. Sit down and watch 15 minutes of the video. Watch Khan Academy for 15 minutes. Write exactly in a notebook, where did you leave off? Okay? so And leave the browser open so that every day, and set a timer. The moment the timer goes off, you shut it off. I don't care if he's in the middle of the sentence. You shut it off, right? So that, you get to realize when you sit down, oh, this is not the end of the world. My whole day is not being lost. It's only 15 minutes. 15 minutes, I don't have to look at my phone. I don't have to talk to my brother. I don't have to talk to my sister. 15 minutes of pure focus just on the video. The moment my timer goes off, I got one tab on the video, one tab on the timer. Okay, the moment the timer goes off, I shut it off. You feel maybe you learned 0.1% of something, right? No problem. The key here is de developing the routine. Every single day, I don't care what happens, nobody doesn't have 15 minutes, okay? 15 minutes. If you do that, that by itself, I tell you that, that that by itself, if you do that over the span of a year, you will achieve so much you don't realize. Then the day that comes that you need to cram for the exam, now the exam's coming in a month, now I'm putting out like five, six, seven, eight hours, right, a day on it, that's fine now, but because at least I have a foundation. That 15 minutes a day is the phase one of the routine development of a routine. And we call this the awrad, and this system was taken when many young murids way back in the day, never heard of Tasawwuf for anything, went to the shiuch and said, how can, what can we do? How do we start? And we imagine something like the khalwa, a 48-hour retreat, three-day retreat, 15 days, 40 days, none of that. Sheikh simply said, I want you to recite the words in the morning and the words at night. And some people were like, oh, that's not enough. I want more. And someone like myself was like, okay, that's doable, right? That is doable. And I didn't have the ability to do what some of those other guys did. So, so I took that, right? I said, oh, that's, this is great. This is it. Something where I know I'm on the right track if I just do this. Something objective and practical. That's what it is. It's objective and it's practical. And every single day I did the wood in the morning, every single day I did the wood at night, never ever missed it, right? Ever, no matter what happens, okay? I didn't really feel that immediately that anything changed. But over time, you began to feel stronger in the wood. And without realizing it, you truly did transform after a year, right? But you didn't even realize it. And, the, and it's good not to realize it because if you realize it, you may become self-conscious, right? And you mess up. But to not realize it is even better. And that's why the slow and steady route 
is really the best route. And it's about establishing that routine. And you, you can apply this for studying. You can apply this for tasawwuf. You can apply this for push-ups. You can learn the hardest book in the world, right? If you apply this methodology. And it's no different than the ancient times in the old days. How did they break up a mountain if it was in the path, right? It might take them a year, but everyone comes with a, sh- a hammer and a chisel, okay? A chisel is basically a, a, a sharp end with a flat top. The guy puts it here and bang, 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 bang. Everyone's banging away at a, a, you could be a big, a small mountain, but you get enough guys doing it every single day for a year and that mountain will be gone. And after the first day, you'll feel like you achieved nothing. A little piece have come off of a mountain. What's the big deal? Nothing, right? Fast forward now, though, for a, after a year, all of a sudden that thing is gone. Okay? And I once one time had, there were 200 videos. Each video is 20 minutes of a work of fiqh. And I said to myself, I'm going to watch these. It's 200 videos. And I must have watched five on the first day, like eight on the second day. I was just breezing through it, just like the rabbit and the hare. But in Islam and in life, things happen. Like Ramadan happens. Doesn't that disrupt everything, right? Uh, an Umrah trip, a sickness, right? A vacation, an illness, something like that. It disrupted it. And then I said, I'm not going to go back to it because when I go back, I go four or five hours. Like, when do I have four or five hours? Did it. Two years passed, right? Two years passed. If I had done half a video, just half a video, 10 minutes a day, I'd have finished it in one year, in, in two years, less than two years, right? So that's the key. And you feel like, what a waste. This could have been done. So it's not the, the heavy lifting. It's the small lifting regularly that gets the job done. And that's the technique. It's the technique of the shiuch. Z wants to bring up a point that we said about STDs. When you ask about STDs, if it's curable, the person may got cured from it, then, yeah, they don't have to mention it. Can we do istighatha through the angel of death? No, the Prophet ﷺ said, Ya ibad Allah a'inuni. That's it. He didn't say the angel of death. Okay. So if you did not are not cured from the STD and you could transmit that STD, then you have to say it. Remember, if it affects your partner, it has to be disclosed. Okay? You got to disclose. Otherwise, it's trickery. You're tricking us here. Particularly related to the sexual function. I mean, what do you think if someone has got COVID back when COVID was a scary thing? Today, everyone gets COVID nothing happens, Right? But COVID at one point was a scary thing. People were worried about getting COVID. And you hang out with somebody, you talk the way we're talking here, very close, physically in proximity, like across the table. After the whole gathering and you hugged and you shared food and you passed the straw and you passed the cup and everything, they said, oh, by the way, guess what? I have COVID. You won't believe this. I have COVID. Did you not just betray your friend? It's like, whoa, what? You don't say anything? So it's a betrayal. It doesn't. It won't invalidate the marriage unless it is a purely of an error in the in the um, a malfunction in the sexual organ that will invalidate the marriage. That means you marry a person 
and then the 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 man or the woman discloses a malady that would disallow normal sexual relations that invalidates the marriage the other things don't invalidate the marriage but they're sinful in that you tricked somebody right and it may have a repercussion in real life that the person's upset at you okay can we bow down in front of a karate instructor no sinful I wouldn't say that shit gets sinful. Yeah, because the intent there is that that's the way the Japanese give honor and respect. By the way, next week, Friday, did you saw the email? Yeah. It's Japanese day at MBIC. I heard it, but what, uh, what is that? Friday. We have five Japanese converts. Yuki, 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 Yuka, and Yuji. Oh, my. Those are their names, right? And they're going to come and they have a presentation that they're preparing about being Japanese and being Muslim. It says, we are an international ummah and we should always be international. And, 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 and this ummah is for the whole, There's no ummah like us. Literally every part of the world. The only thing that they said is they're not coming for sushi. They're not bringing sushi. They're not going to come cook sushi for us or prepare sushi. Is sushi cooked or prepared? They said, we're not doing sushi. I said, what about hibachi at least? They said, no, that's an American innovation. In J Japan, there's no such thing as hibachi. Okay. So um, they will, though, bring some Japanese snacks. I mean, forget the food. That's the silly part. But we want to hear about like life in, as a Japanese Muslim. Right? It's something that um, I kept noticing that those numbers are sort of increasing and that's a good thing. But anyway, I was saying that when it comes to karate, it's not necessarily the intent is not worship in the first place. So it would be sinful. We won't say it's shit. It's sinful to bow to somebody like that. Is there any spiritual dimension to common phobias like the fear of rats and spiders? I would say it is spiritual in the as from the aspect of, the fitra that we're created with. We are all created with a, a natural instinct. And the natural instinct makes us fear things that uh, we, we all sort of tend to agree that we fear things that tend to be ugly in nature, dirty in nature, slimy in nature. Okay? And things that... There's also someone else brought, brought up this psychology. Things that could crawl into the holes of the body, we have a, a fear of. Because okay. when these little things are crawling around, one of the real fears is that we have holes in our body. We don't want anything little around us. That thing's going to crawl into our body. And also, I think, it, I wouldn't say that just, that's just the instinct. It's not necessarily a spirituality there, but it's the instinct of, uh, of, of people in general. Last ch question. Khalil Chowdhury says, Dua of Maghfirah. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-dhalimin is one of the best. Okay. Dua for maghfira. I found discussions between my husband and another woman on his phone. This was before we were together. May I ask him about this? So you're already together, right? You're already married and you're already together and you found a little a thread. 
there's nothing wrong to ask him, hey, is this woman gone from our life now? So there shouldn't be anything wrong with that question. Okay. What is a wirds? Oh, what was the wirds? What the wird? I didn't define what a wird, and I didn't specify which word. The wird, as a definition, is a short series of prayers from the Prophet that a scholar collects. You do that for the morning for the protection of the day, and for the in the you do that in the afternoon for the protection of the evening. At wird al latif in the morning, ratib al shahir at night, and they are at safinasada.org slash wird. Okay, ladies and gentlemen. We got a very busy afternoon. We got the kids retreat and the youth retreat in the masjid that we got to go to. And they're going to go swimming soon. And then we got the last class for the youth. All right. Today. So we got a busy day. And unfortunately, you got a lot of nice questions here. Will the Japanese Muslim be live streamed? No, it won't be live streamed, unfortunately. The acoustics in our masjid, it's a high ceiling with a lot of metal at the top. The audio is always bouncing around. The acoustic is never good. And the Wi-Fi is not good either because there's like 100 other people on the Wi-Fi. Okay. Does Allah only allow an opening to occur for you to become a successful in exams, get married, etc. when you are obedient to him? No. These things can still exist when you're disobedient because they are of the dunya. And the dunya Allah gives to the believer and the non-believer. However, if you are a believer, then Allah may deprive you of it as a sign that you should not disobey him. Or he may give it to you as a motivation for us to turn our page into a good page, right? And sometimes it happens that a sinful Muslim gets his prayer answered. And he wonders, why am I getting my prayer answered? Later on in life, he always remembers that Allah answered me when I had a need. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respect myself and be obedient to my creator, right? Not be one of those who is ungrateful, okay? Rabbi Amadik, when is it happening? This meeting with the Japanese Muslims is... Um, and all, we will also have a video presentation from Professor Yamamoto. But this will be happening at the New Brunswick Islamic Center, live and in person. It will not be uh, streamed. Okay. You know what? Maybe we'll talk to them about streaming it through MBIC, but we'll see what happens. Because the audio, I'm telling you, is always an issue. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, some people saying their questions were not answered. Let's go back and see. Mm. What is the meaning of It's a saying of Prophet Isa ibn Maryam, alayhi salam. If it were possible that Allah had a son, if Allah had a son, I would have been the first one to worship it. That's what it's saying. And it's saying it as an absurdity. Okay. Will the people in their graves in the barzakh hear the trumpet when it is blown for the qiyamah? They will not hear the first trumpet, but they will hear the second trumpet. Their trumpet is blown three times. One, to end life on earth. Two, to resurrect the souls. Three, to line everyone up for the judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, Jazakumullah khairan. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr inna al-insana lafi khusr illa al-ladhina amanu aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.